what a word for a weary world that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ because he's risen. I love the first song we sang. It was in my home church growing up. Crown him with many crowns was the Easter song and we always sang it. And that to me feels like Easter. We missed the one thing though. We always had a group of older men who sang really, really deep. And all of us as kids would try to sing like them and, and it didn't quite sound right. But it feels like Easter. I think about this Easter is not like Christmas. Christmas, we know when Christmas is every year, but Easter, we have to look it up. And our staff are always like, when's, when's Easter? We've got to get it on the calendar. When's Easter? And then we forget along the way. How many weeks? We don't know. When's Easter? But even when you put it on the calendar, we know that there are things, there are events, there are experiences that say out loud, now it's Easter. And, and I think about examples of this. Target and Walmart, it's February 15th. Because they take away the Valentine's candy and decorations and they sweep in with Easter bunnies and Easter candy. The Cadbury eggs, Justin, they have them on February 15th. You were too late if you went shopping today. And you walk into the store and you go, okay, now it's Easter. I I watched some of you coming in this morning and I saw one of the announcements of Easter is when you begin to lay out the matching clothing with your family, right? It's not cool at any other time of the year to dress like other people except for Easter. Now it feels like Easter. Now teenagers are like, it's still not cool, mom. I don't want to wear this. But you do because it's Easter and that's what you're supposed to do. And I look at you and I go, now it's Easter. But as a kid, for me, one of the big signs that Easter has come was when all of the extended family gathered around a big table, tables, like kids' table here, kids' table there, and the food was piled high, and we had all of the things that, that I love. My Aunt Sandra had a mac and cheese with like a half-inch thick, crusty, crispy cheese on top, and you always tried to get the burnt, crispy cheese on the top, and the deviled eggs and the pies, and I would go, oh, this now is Easter. And for some of you kids, it's when you get your Easter basket, right? You get your basket, you hook it on your arm, you line up, and it's like a race to to slam heads against another kid while you all hunt Easter eggs. And you go, now it's Easter. And that's an interesting lens through which we could look at the Easter story this morning as we read about it in our Bibles. Because when we come to the story in John 20, Easter has come. There is an empty tomb. Jesus has risen. But we're going to follow with a woman named Mary Magdalene. And Mary, as she comes to this moment, kind of like kids hunting for Easter eggs, though she doesn't realize it yet, she's hunting for the reality of the resurrection. She's hunting for an Easter experience. And it doesn't come to her right away. And so it leads me to the question, when will the reality of the resurrection hit Mary? I think it's important for us to see this morning. And when does Easter come for you and me? So grab your Bible if you got it. Turn to John 20. I want to read the story with you in John chapter 20. In John 19 is the story of the crucifixion of Jesus where people nail him to a cross and he hangs on the cross and he, he dies there. And we, we read about this on Friday that from the cross Jesus declares several words that are in a way kind of his final sermons in his, his ministry on earth. He said words of compassion and words of suffering and then words of completion that he had accomplished everything God had sent him to do to reconcile us to a holy God, that he said the word that means it is finished. And it says that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now in John 19, we find that there were people gathered around him who knew him and loved him. In John 19, 25, it says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then here's our girl for today, Mary Magdalene, was there at the cross 
Now, when Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit, those gathered around him, these women and his disciples, his closest friends, they believed it was all over. It had not yet dawned on them. They had not grasped the truth of the promise that Jesus gave that he would rise again. And so as we get to John chapter 20, this, this woman, Mary Magdalene, is a woman that I want to pay attention to. There's a couple of things you might know or you might ought to know about her. First, in Luke 8, she's described this way. She's Mary, who is called Magdalene, from whom seven, listen to this, seven demons had come out. We don't know a lot about Mary, but that line alone tells you a lot, doesn't it? That Mary wasn't this like airbrushed, perfect life that had no issues and no problems and just floated above reality. No, Mary was someone, life was complicated for Mary. We don't know what the oppression or the torment or the the difficulty was or how long that this went on, but seven demons had been plaguing her, torturing her life for a period of time. She's a woman who had a past. She had gone through some things. This is Mary. And in spite of this, a woman who's dealt with a lot of tough stuff in life, she's the first one who arrives at the empty tomb, which means she's the first one that God gives and entrusts the most critical testimony that the world would ever hear is to this woman who, whose life hasn't been perfect all along. Another thing you notice is that she didn't understand it right away when it happened. In fact, when you read um, Mark and Luke's accounts of this story, they say that she didn't come alone, but she came with some other women. They came and they brought spices and oils, and they were there to anoint and to honor the dead body of Jesus. She didn't come expecting resurrection. She wasn't looking for an Easter experience. She just came to honor the dead. And I think that's great news. I think it's great news because it tells us that the Easter story, Easter comes for ordinary people, people who have a lot of messiness and imperfection and hope don't necessarily get it right away. It comes for people like Mary Magdalene and and people like you and people like me. So track with me in this story. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, this is John who's writing this, whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord away out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Now when you read the other accounts, you find that that Mary expected an obstacle when she showed up. She and the women expected to have some trouble finding someone to move this giant rock to give them access to the tomb so that they could honor the dead body of Jesus. But Luke says when they, they came, the, the stone was rolled away, they entered the tomb, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So Mary shows up, she recognizes the stone is already rolled away, that problem is solved, she goes to head inside the tomb and sees his body is gone. So what does she conclude about this? Does she say, he is risen, and the disciples said, he's risen indeed. No, she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, we don't know where they laid him. In other words, she's still looking for a resurrection. She doesn't know it. Easter has come, but it hasn't come yet for Mary. When is Easter? Jesus had risen. The tomb was empty, but it hasn't come yet for Mary. I think this is important because when it comes to faith and the gospel, when it comes to building your life on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, what we find is it's more than just the accomplishment of of learning all of the facts and the details. It's more than gathering the empirical evidence that's necessary for a lot of us. When it comes to actually putting the, the life and the weight of your entirety upon the truth of the gospel, sometimes 
It takes more than the facts. Can you relate to that? Sometimes it's more than empirical evidence. I think about this. uh, Just a couple of months ago, our kids pastor, Lori Zettler, came to me. She was planning her husband's 40th birthday. Cody was turning 40. She had heard him talk for years about wanting to go skydiving. And so she was going to his friends and saying, hey, for his 40th, why don't you guys go skydiving? And I don't know where I fall on the list of friends. I might have been the fifth or the tenth call, but at least I was counted among friends. And she came to me and said, Kevin, would you want to go skydiving with Cody for his 40th birthday? And what you need to know is I love Cody. Cody, like I would do, and if he needs me, I am there. I will be there for Cody. And I also don't, don't like looking afraid and looking foolish. So Lori asks me, she says, Kevin, would you want to go skydiving with Cody for his 40th birthday? I looked at her and I went, no, absolutely not. <laughs> not happening. And I know the facts. I, I know that, that you just don't get in a plane and jump out. I know that you have to go and you, you get some training, on-the-job training. I, I know that they don't even, after the training, let you just jump out of a plane, but you're strapped up to a skydiving professional. I don't know what they call it on the resume, but we'll call them skydiving professional harnesses you up. They do all of the hard work. They do all of the things that ensure that you're going to land on the ground. You just lay there and fall. I know this. I know the facts of skydiving, and yet it's going to take a lot more. It's going to take like tying me down and blindfolding me and forcing me to get me to jump out of a plane, even for my friend Cody. Here's the thing. I think when it comes to faith, facts and history are important. They're important to us, but faith may require more from us and for us than just the facts. And that's true for Mary here. Mary comes and she sees the stone is rolled away. She sees the tomb is empty. But for Mary, it didn't prove anything. And it certainly didn't transform her life in any way. She didn't get it. What did she say? She said, his body's gone. Somebody's taken him and we don't know where he is. Because Easter had not yet come for Mary. And the story continues, and Mary runs to Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends, and and she says, he's not there. We don't know where he is. And so they come running, and and they get to the tomb, and they look inside, and John, he calls himself the other disciple. John says, when they looked in the tomb, that he believed. He saw and believed. Verse 9 says, for as yet, or up until this point... They did not understand the scriptures. They didn't understand what had been written, what had been said about this moment until John looked inside and something dawned on him. Now, what would they have been exposed to? What would they have heard? Consider this. Psalm 22, written a thousand years almost before the crucifixion. Written, listen, 300 years before the Romans even invented death by crucifixion. Psalm 22 is written, and it, extra, it in like explicit detail describes everything that would happen on the cross from the things that Jesus would think and the th- things that he would say, the things that would happen around the cross at his feet as he hung there. It's described 300 years before the Romans even invented death by crucifixion. But they didn't get it. As to this point, they didn't understand the scriptures. Job, Job, the earliest book of the Bible, the earliest manuscript, Job talks about his Redeemer. He says, my Redeemer lives through all of the suffering. My Redeemer, he lives. And in the end, he says, he won't be in the ground. He will stand upon the earth. But they didn't understand the scriptures up until this point. They didn't understand Jesus when he spoke. In Mark 9, verse 31, Jesus is talking to the disciples. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, like, don't miss this message. The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. Right? 
Verse 9, for as of yet, or up until this point, they didn't get it. They didn't understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went again to their own homes. John believing, but Mary, verse 11, she was standing outside the tomb, still weeping. Why? Easter had come, but Easter had not yet come for Mary. Not yet. Verse 11, Mary standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped, she looked again into the tomb, and now she saw two angels there in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And the angels spoke to her, and they said, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they write about this, they give us a little more about the conversation with the angels in Luke 24. The angels say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And then they say, remember, right? Calling him back. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, must be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. There you got it, right? What more do you need? Mary knows John. She respects John. She cares for John. John believes. John takes off. Mary's staying weeping. Two angels now from heaven are sent to speak to Mary face to face. What more do you need? And yet, Mary, she doesn't get it. There's nothing in the text that suggests that, that in any way her mind or her heart is convinced or moved. Easter has not yet come for Mary. And that's the second hint to our question. When will the reality of the resurrection dawn on Mary? When will it come for her? When does Easter come for you and me? Well, sometimes we need someone, more than someone else's word on it, right? Sometimes we need more than someone else to say, oh, this is true. You should, you should believe it. You should believe me, right? The faith of our family and our friends, the faith of our, our church is important but when it comes to placing our faith in Jesus, other person's faith isn't always enough to convince us, certainly not enough to transform our lives. That's why for me as a pastor, a lot of times I have people come to me and say, listen, Kevin, my family's always been in church. I mean, my whole life, I was, I was born in the church. We were always there. We've been in church all of our lives. We're always Christians. We've always been Christians. I've always been a Christian. And the same person can look at me and say, but you know, it's never really taken with me. I've never... I've always been a Christian, but you know, I don't know that I've really ever gotten it, gotten it. And that, that's because you can't borrow another person's faith and make it your own, right? It, it, you may know the story, but has the story become your own story now? See, we have to see and to hear and to experience it for ourselves, for us to build a life of faith. There, there's an old school pastor saying that used to be thrown around that, that said, God has many children, but no grandchildren. Many children, but, but no grandchildren. And what that, that means is that every person has to come in there. Every person in the church for all time, all history, all geography has had to come to saving faith on their own. Because Romans 8, we studied at length earlier this year, tells us that in Christ we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. No mention of, of grandchildren, no mention of great-grandchildren, but we're all first generation into the family of God through Christ. That means that there's no nepotism when it comes to Christianity. You're not in just because your family are Christians. And the experience of the resurrection can't be 
uh, can't come to you in a vicarious way. You can't just glean from another's faith and, and you just now are a Christian because your friend is a Christian. You, you can't borrow from the faith of another or just by being in proximity to a deeply faithful person that doesn't make you a person of faith. It comes by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I want you to see this in verse 13. Mary says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said this, she turns around and who did she see? <laughs> yeah, she saw, yeah, you, your turn next. She saw Jesus standing there and yet she still didn't get it. She's face to face with the risen Lord, but Easter had not yet come for Mary. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Jesus to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will come and take him. I love Mary, by the way. She's amazing. She is tough. She is brave. She's like, I don't care who has been messing around. I want him. I want to bring him to his proper place. I want to honor his dead body. And she's ready to fight. Well, it doesn't matter if it's soldiers or angels or if it's the gardener. She's like, I am determined. I love Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in, in Hebrew, Rabbani. Easter had finally come for Mary. Easter came for Mary when she heard him call her name. And she responded in faith. Which leads me to ask the question, has God called your name? Have you heard God's voice? Not, not in a weird audible way. That's very rare. I've never heard it. I don't anticipate you're going to hear it in an audible way. I don't anticipate that. But God has spoken to me. I have heard his voice in my soul unmistakably over and over. Have you heard him call your name? Have you heard the Lord speaking to you? Have you responded in faith? Has Easter come for you? You know, one of the, the, the big obstacles of our day is the amount of content we take in, the amount of voices that daily we are absorbing from the moment that we wake. And like there's our family and our friends and, and our coworkers and our classmates and all of them. But I mean, like how many of you, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you grab your phone and you start taking in content, right? You, you do this, it's Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds and, and news announcements, news pundits, and, and then you turn on the TV and on, on the way to work, podcasts, and you're reading blogs, and you're just, you know, mass content coming in each and every day. And the most important question that every person walking the face of the earth should be asking right now is in the midst of all of the voices I'm allowing in to point me to the way, am I hearing God's voice? Am I hearing his voice or is him calling, him speaking to me just coming in as another sliver of noise in the echo chamber of my mind where all of the other stuff is bouncing around? Or do I hear resurrection, resurrection life being offered to me? Resurrection life being offered to me, new life, a new way, a new king, a new kingdom, freedom from the oppression uh, of the enemy's, enemy's uh, work in my life, freedom from being bound by my sins and feeling like I can never get past this, freedom from feeling lost and feeling hopeless and feeling like I have to, to prove myself over and over and over again, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. Do I feel, do I hear resurrection life being spoken to me? Here's the good news. In the wee hours of Easter, of Easter morning, while Mary Magdalene is walking around here looking for Jesus, 
He shows up. He calls her name. He speaks her name directly to her. And when, when he does, she responds in faith. And that's it. That's enough. That's the miracle of Easter. It's the miracle of Easter. Eugene Peterson said, miracle isn't simply what we don't understand. Sometimes we think that's what a miracle is. It's the things that I can't explain. No, miracle is functional. It's what God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. It's what God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. And today, as we celebrate Easter, we're talking about the most miraculous thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Here's the miracle of Easter. First, he made a way to permanently deal with the sins that separate us from God, to permanently deal with it. Up until this moment, the people of God had always had temporary measures to say, I I have broken the law of God. I have turned my back on God. I have not walked in the right way. Up until this moment, there had been no solution, no answer for sin. There had been no way for sinful people to come close to be reconciled to a holy God. But Jesus made a way to permanently deal with the sin that separates us from God. He paid the price for all of our sin. For how much of our sin? All of it. That's past, present, future, big and small. He did for us what we can never do for ourselves. That's the miracle, the miracle of Easter. Second, he did for us, second thing he did is he made us co-heirs of his kingdom, right? That in Christ, we are adopted children of God. In Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. We're told we're co-heirs with Christ. That means Jesus invites us to share in the kind of relationship he has with his heavenly father that is personal, that is powerful, that's intimate. He invites us to share in that kind of relationship with his heavenly father. This is what he did for us that we could never do for ourselves. It's a miracle. It's the miracle of Easter. Third thing he did, he enabled us to experience a resurrection of our own. To experience a resurrection of our own. And look, There are people all over the room. Here, you have so many things going on in your life and so many things that need a resurrection. Some of you, your marriage needs a resurrection. Some things have been done, some things have been said, and it's gone on far too long, and now you're looking at each other going, this thing is dead, it's over, done. And there's nothing that you could do. There's nothing you could do. You need a resurrection. Some of you, you've got something going on with one of your kids. You've got a parenting situation, and you've tried everything. You read the books, you listened to the podcast, you got help, and you're going, I don't see the way out. I've lost all hope. I'm dead. I'm done. And you need a resurrection. There's a resurrection that you need. There's a relationship that you have that needs a resurrection. It's a work thing. It's a school thing. It's a health thing. You're in need of a resurrection. And what Jesus did for us that we could never do for ourselves is he offers us resurrection life. He offers abundant life to those who are in him. All kinds of things that you're facing. And the Apostle Paul says, for all who cling to Jesus, he gives us this promise. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful promise for all who are in Jesus. And even now we can taste it. It's not just a someday, but it's an even now we can begin to taste. There's a resurrection happening. There's a resurrection happening if you are in Christ.
So the question this morning is, when's Easter? And you see, in the case of Mary, maybe it's in your case as well. For some people, it takes more than just the facts. Someone just spelling out, okay, this is what the Bible says, this is how it's done, and they give you a clever presentation and a little booklet for you to look at. Sometimes it takes more than just the facts for Easter to come. And sometimes, it, it, it really, it takes more than another person's faith, another person's word on it. Another person's faith isn't enough to transform your life. For every person, what it takes is hearing the Lord calling your name, hearing his voice, responding to him in faith and devotion and love, as Mary did. And Luke tells us she clung to him. She responded in faith and she clung to him. Question this morning is, are you listening? Are you listening? I expect on this Easter Sunday morning, just like on that Easter Sunday morning, God is calling once again. He's calling names. And I expect that, that there are some of you, in all of the noise and the chaos, there's a moment coming. And there's a moment where you're going to finally, he'll break through and you'll hear him and he'll say, I've been calling your name. I've been talking to you. And you're going to go, what? When? What, what did you say? God, are you listening? And are you, like Mary, willing to cling to Jesus? Are you, like Mary, willing to cling to him and to grow in knowledge of his grace, of his truth, and of his love? If so, simple answer to the question, when's Easter? Easter is, it's right now. It's right now. Can I pray for you? God, this morning, we come a grateful people that though we walk in a world that is so marked by brokenness, and, and I mean, we barely have to open our eyes in the morning to be reminded of it. That you came, you left timelessness to enter time. Jesus, you are God, but you, you, you left divinity and, and glory in heaven, and you emptied yourself in such a way that you put on humanity, and you lived fully man and fully God, tempted but never sinned, so that you can make a way to the cross, so that you could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's a miracle. And I pray this morning for those who are in the room, who are Christians, who are in Christ this morning, we would turn our eyes to you and we would say, thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Most perfectly demonstrated on the cross, but demonstrated day after day, for I no longer live, but you live in me. And for those here this morning who have not come to a moment where they have stopped trying and rowing and working to prove themselves worthy or to, to make access to the kingdom, I pray this would be the day that they would hear you calling their name. And just like I had to experience, and people all over this room have had to experience, they would say, I'm done trying to make my own way, that we would hear you, we would turn in faith, and we would just cling to you and find satisfaction. I pray that there are those here this morning who would hear your voice, and today would be the day they respond in faith. For your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen.